Hello and welcome to the Nursing Home 411 podcast by the Long-Term Care Community Coalition. I'm Eric Goldwine, and on the upcoming show, I'm joined by Margie Lundstrom, a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and deputy editor at fairwarning.org. In the interview, we chat about her fair warning investigation on rampant food safety violations in nursing homes and how this troubling trend ties into COVID-19. We also discuss what it's like covering nursing homes as a journalist, and Margie shares a few tips to those writing about the industry. Hope you enjoy. Hi Margie, it's good to have you on the on the show. And you're in you're in Sacramento. Can you tell me about what it's like there? Um, it, we're recording this on March 25th. Uh, it's I don't know is it week week one or week two of of uh, sheltering in place for you? Yeah, you know California was among the first to to do this, and Sacramento um, in particular moved pretty quickly. But you know, for me personally, I you know I work from home. I work remotely from you know from my office in Los Angeles. So not a lot has changed for me. But my husband's also a reporter. He's with the Sacramento Bee, and McClatchy had his reporters um, come home a couple of weeks ago. So our personal mm-hmm. lives have been you know, kind of upended, uh, you know, he'll start vacuuming in the middle of the day when I'm trying to do interviews. <laughs> and so we've had some personal challenges, but we're, we're getting along fine. It's, but it's, it's a tough time yeah. for everybody. Well, we invited you on uh, cause you've done some extensive reporting on the nursing home industry, including a stomach turning story in October about uh, rampant food safety violations in nursing homes. I'm going to read the lead here just to give the the audience an idea of what the story is. Um, so flies buzzing the undercooked hamburgers, cockroaches scurrying for cover behind the oven, a moldy ice machine, mystery debris clinging to the crevices of a meat slicer, Hundreds of mouse droppings trailing across the hood of the stove. These incidents are true, but they're not logged in any restaurant inspector's notebook. They are among the thousands of food safety violations discovered in the last three years in America's nursing homes, where fragile residents can least tolerate such lapses. So right away, you're getting into a story that, on the one hand, is about food safety issues, but uh, about your mouse droppings, about mold, but it also seems to be about something systemic. Can you explain to me what the the goal of this story was? You know, um, I'll back up a little bit. That story was mm-hmm. really a labor of love for me, and it had been developing for a long time for me. I, as you, as you mentioned in the introduction, I had been working for about three, three and a half years on the nursing home industry in California doing kind of a deep dive into um, facilities out here, specifically looking at ownership patterns here. And that just kind of opened everything up. Um, And we tumbled into so many stories in the process of doing that. And what stuck with me as I was working on these California stories, I would be reading all of these survey reports or inspection reports done by the state on behalf of the feds or for the state. And As I was reading these reports, generally looking for other issues, I did some stories on um, mentally ill being housed in nursing homes. I did some stories on sexual assaults in nursing homes. But while I was looking for those other incidents, 
in these inspection reports, I was finding these incredibly disturbing things happening in these kitchens. And, you know, I'm not talking here about, you know, complaints about the chicken divan recipe or, or last night's mushy broccoli. I mean, it was, and health inspectors were finding serious, like potentially life-threatening conditions that like you, Eric, or I wouldn't even tolerate in a Mm -hmm. restaurant. We just simply wouldn't tolerate it. And yet here in black and white were all these things being reported routinely in facilities that care for people who are really our most frail and vulnerable. So, you know, that just stuck with me over the course of the years that this was something that Honestly, I couldn't find a single story that had ever been written about food safety conditions. You know, we've we as reporters have mined a lot of things in facilities, but not that. And so, you know, it was a tough story to even sell to editors um, to, to and, and, and to advocates, too, who who weren't really familiar with it either. So it was like I said, it's been a labor of love and it took a long time to do. One of the striking things about this was that these things are happening, and they're uh, a lot of them are not resulting in fines. Um, the grander point is that there seems to be little accountability, even when these things go wrong. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you found as far uh, in the accountability side of this? Oh, absolutely. I. You know, the data was was very hard to to work with. It's it's overwhelming when you're talking about all the facilities in the country. But we did find that, you know, a third, almost exactly a third of nursing homes have been cited for for violating this violating this basic requirement to safely store, prepare and serve food. So that's a third of these homes. And but then when you started to drill into it, you would also find out that, for instance, that several of the big chains were even worse than that. Genesis Healthcare, for instance, which is, is was, at least at the time I wrote the story, the nation's largest provider, 43% of its homes were cited for these food safety problems. And, and the thing that I found especially troubling were, A, how low the penalties were. If you were caught with this, I think it was, as I recall, it was way less than 1% of these penalties were considered serious enough to even trigger a, a high level citation or a fine, which is, which is the, supposed to be the deterrent. It just simply wasn't happening. And, you know, of course, the head of your organization, Richard Mollett, has done so much incredible work around repeat offenders, facilities mm-hmm. and owners who repeat the same violation over and over and over again. And, and I wish I could have developed that more in my piece. We just kind of ran out of room. And, but food safety is no exception. You would see the same facilities showing up, you know, four times, five times, six times for the exact same food safety violation. So in the absence of fines, um, you know, it wasn't taken seriously. And so I'm going to bring this to COVID-19. But so COVID-19 is not primarily a food safety issue, but it does seem that there are uh, parallels between the the violations and the deficiencies we're seeing in the news reporting um, from, from the facilities such as Life Care Center uh, in Kirkland um, that are experiencing these outbreaks. Uh, and it does seem like there are parallels between the kind of things that you've found in your coverage on 
food safety. Have you been following what's been going on in the nursing homes and uh, are are there similarities between the food safety violations and the ones, the infection control violations with COVID-19? Yeah, I think there are some really important parallels and I have been following it. You know, um, you may be aware of him. There's an excellent reporter named Jordan Rao who writes for Kaiser Health News. He wrote a really great story. It was two years before the coronavirus outbreak. I, I think it was in late 2017, sounds right to me. But he was writing about persistent problems with infection control in nursing homes. And I read it at the time. And I recall him describing how facilities, once again, were being cited over and over and over again for, you know, for failing to just even get a handle on infections like the flu. We didn't know about coronavirus then, like the flu or C. diff or some of these antibiotic resistant strains, and they were failing to keep them from spreading. And so at the time he wrote his piece um, in 2017, as I recall, infection control was the number one violation. And, and the food issue was really similar because when I did my piece, like less than two years later, food safety was right up there. It was the number three most frequently cited violation. Mm-hmm. And, and yet, unlike infection control, it affects huge numbers of residents at once. So, so a foodborne illness can sweep through a facility in the, in the same way C. diff or the flu can. And many of the causes are the same. This chronic lack of hand washing, um, nurses and aides coming to work when ill, not staying home. You know, I thought about this um, as I've been watching, you know, the nursing home aspect of, of the story in coronavirus. And I would not be at all surprised to learn that the nursing homes that are struggling right now with coronavirus also have problems with food safety and how well their kitchens are being managed because it's some of the same mechanisms and it's lack of hand washing, people coming to work sick. If you can't manage that, um, you know, you're going to have problems in your kitchen too. A few years ago with the Sacramento Bee, you wrote a a three-part series uh, along with uh, your colleagues there about the nursing home industry and getting at some of the systemic problems and really taking a deep dive into ownership uh, and the role that those uh, complex ownership structures play in resident outcomes. And one of the stories you connected uh, an incident surrounding antipsychotic drugging with uh, a a resident and you kind of connected the that incident to the ownership of the facility. This is a long way of of asking what role does ownership play in in these things uh, from your reporting? Well, what we found um, certainly, and it surprised us too, um, it was very, very difficult just to even find out who owned what. You know, there's the layers of obfuscation and these ownership groups are astonishing. But the bottom line was that we found that some chains, as I just mentioned with food safety, had patterns of behavior and conduct that stretched across the chain. And it led us, and this, and this look at ownership also led us to some um, operators in the state that were problematic, um, that they had, you know, that they'd hidden their ownership pretty well. The, we identified 
who the state's largest nursing home operator who was based in Los Angeles, who, as far as the public was concerned, had been flying below the radar. Nobody really knew who he was. State regulators knew who he was. But, you know, there there were very similar patterns of behavior and violations across all of his homes. So I think that that was a really important contribution we made was to get people to try to look at facilities from a chain-wide perspective. And I know that some of the leading researchers, such as Charlene Harrington um, at UCSF, would love to see the government be more focused on chain-wide problems as opposed to individual facilities. So I think that was an important body of work, was was talking about these, these problems as they relate within a chain and identifying some of the poor performing operators and trying to hold them accountable for that. Uh, so you, you work, you're a deputy editor of Fair Warning, uh, which is an LA based nonprofit investigative news organization. Um, I know you've published stories ranging from the food safety story we just mentioned to uh, synthetic turf in athletic fields. And there's a recent story about uh, hoarding in grocery stores and the dissonance of how, on the one hand, we should be stocking up food and staying inside. But on the other hand, uh, we're being told not to get too much food. And, and there's this mixed messaging. Uh, what what kind of stories does Fair Warning put out, put out there? I know I just listed three, but what's the general... Uh, goal of, of what you're looking for when you've published a story on Fair Warning? You know, um, Fair Warning is really um, the brainchild of a, of a great reporter who used to work at the Los Angeles Times named Myron Levin. And he's just always had such a clear vision for what he wants to see. He wants, he wants stories that, that really protect the little guy, that, um, you know, stories that focus on public health and consumer issues, job safety, uh, environmental issues. He really you know, he's, he's particularly interested in product safety as well. So, you know, and there's always a big emphasis for us on government or, or business accountability. So it's watchdog journalism with this particular niche. You know, it's been a learning curve for me. And I'm every day, I'm so grateful that that I was a general assignment reporter, because, um, you know, that's my training that I can move from from one topic to a very different one the next day. And, and so my training as a GA has enabled me to do that and sort of tackle these things that are, are a little bit different for me. I love it. It's great. That kind of gets to my next question here. There's a, from a reporter's, from a journalist reporter perspective, is there any advice you would give to writing about um, to writing about nursing homes and really just to writing about these public health issues in general, are there any challenges you uh, that are unique to covering the nursing home industry and that are unique to covering public health? Yeah, I think you know, I think the nursing there are some of the challenges of of covering nursing homes. I think you probably have encountered yourself. You know, the regulatory framework is complex and you know it varies by state. So there's a there's a real sharp learning curve here just to understand who's in charge of what and how facilities and owners are held responsible. On a more personal level, one of my uh, challenges has, has always been getting the voices from the people inside facilities. 
I, you know, I don't want to write these stories without their voices. And sometimes that can be difficult, you know, sort of penetrating families and getting advocates to help you so that, you know, you're talking to the people who are actually experiencing the conditions inside a facility. I think that's so important. Uh, I also wish that we um, had less of an us versus them um, role with operators. Um, I, I developed a source who was a really good nursing home operator in Southern California who I would talk to frequently and he would give me really great insights into what it's like to, to run facilities and what some of the challenges mm -hmm. are. But that's not typical. I think that the media is usually seen as, you know, as the enemy in these kinds of stories and you don't get much cooperation from administrators who can explain what things might look like from their perspective. So I think that's always a challenge for us is, is to try not to always play gotcha journalism and to try to get folks on the inside to talk about what it's like for them too. And I think something that's being lost with the decline of uh, local journalism in some areas is the ability to cultivate that source. I, I get the sense it's harder than ever, um, especially with all the turnover in publications. But are, are there any tips you'd give as far as as far as developing that kind of relationship where you can trust someone who uh, and they can trust you and you can ultimately provide the public with better, more accurate uh, information with context? Uh, is there any advice you'd, you'd give for for developing those relationships? Yeah, I think, and I think it's that you don't always come calling when you have, you know, a so-called negative story is that you keep those relationships up where you're talking with operators, you know, between stories and, you know, having lunch or, well, nowadays we're not having lunch, um, <laughs> but, you know, talking to them in general for things that aren't necessarily going into a story now, uh, that's what I did with, this individual in Southern California, and he has given me such great perspectives, was that I just didn't always come calling when I had a, can you respond to this? Can you react to that? I was willing to listen to his concerns about the industry more broadly and what his challenges as a businessman were. I think that that's helpful to know. Um, so we close our our podcast with a guest recommendation segment where I'm going to I'm going to ask you to recommend one nursing home related report uh, article or movie or book and one non nursing home related so this could be something you're watching on Netflix uh, or or a, a book you read or anything uh, so first uh, do you have any nursing home related report it can't be your own and it can't be anything from long term care community coalition I come back to jo Jordan Rao's work at Kaiser Health News. You know, you can look him up on their website. He has been really on top of this, not only on infection control, but he's I've been watching his work on coronavirus as well. So if you're interested in this topic, his last name spelled R-A-U, I, I would look at his body of work. He's um, he's excellent. So that I would recommend. Um I, I actually have a funny story to tell you for as far as a non-nursing home related item. Okay. Um, my great escape from life stresses, especially now, are mystery novels. And my um, my favorite uh, author is Michael Connolly, who you know I have followed since the very beginning, since the early 1990s. He was a former LA Times reporter. So I have read every single one of his books and I'm reading right now his latest, which is called The Night Fire. 
but get this. So when I went and joined Fair Warning, which is based in Los Angeles in Pasadena, I find out that Michael Connolly is on our board for one thing. Yeah. And get this. He has um, his latest book is coming out in May and it is titled Fair Warning. And it is set at our office. It is about, wow. it's, so, it's a murder mystery, of course, but it, it even has a character named Myron Levin, who is the editor of uh -huh. Fair Warning. So we at Fair Warning are all excited about the book coming out. It'll be excellent. And um, so I highly recommend uh, anything by okay. Michael Connolly. Are you going to have a, uh, a character uh, with a pseudonym? Uh, have you been, have you been, um trying to get him to include you you know what and here's the sad part no i think i think myron told me that there is a there is a character who's based in washington dc i'm the only one who's remote uh, who's who's uh -huh. a staff member so the closest i got was somebody in dc but um we were going to have a, a book signing or some event in los angeles when the book published in may and of course you know, that's in question. We don't know yet if that's going to happen, but we're all excited yeah. about the release of the book, and especially since Myron is a character in the book. So we're excited. Great. Well, thank you. Uh, thanks so much for for coming on our podcast. And, and also thank you for your work on covering the nursing homes. Um, it's, it's an area that it seems to be getting a lot of attention now, but uh, most months of the year when there's not uh, pandemic outbreaks, uh, it, it seems to be getting, it gets less attention. So it's good to have journalists like you who are keeping an eye on things. Well, thank you. I was just delighted to be here. And, and um, you know, if, if any of you think of stories, by all means, send them my way. I'm very interested in the topic and, you know, I continue to be so. Thanks for listening to the Nursing Home 411 podcast, and thanks to Margie for coming on the show. You can find us on our website, nursinghome411.org, as well as on iTunes and Spotify. Our music is by Silverman Sound Studios. Till next time.